Hello everyone and welcome back to Sightless Fun, a podcast about board game accessibility for people who are blind and visually impaired. I'm your host, Ertai Shashko, and today we're going to talk about learning and teaching games as a blind player. I have Chris Lehman here with me. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hello, Ertai. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh yeah, it's great to have you here. So for those listeners, uh, if you were paying attention in episode 11... During our Gateway Games episode, I mentioned a guy called Chris who had posted in the Spirit Island Board Game Geek forums about an accessible rulebook. And this is that Chris. So today I'm going to talk to him about learning and teaching board games as a blind player. Also, thanks to the random stranger who pointed me to the forum post that Chris created asking the publisher of Spirit Island, uh, Greater Than Games, about an accessible version of the rulebook. So if you're listening, stranger, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate the, that person connecting to both of us. For a long time, I thought I was kind of an anomaly. Uh, <laughs> when I was making posts to BGG, I thought, well, geez, how many blind board gamers can be out there? I kind of figured I was the only one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad to uh, meet you and everybody else I've met, like Ryan and Brian and uh, Nancy and all the others that I've had the pleasure to talk with. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's been great so far. Okay, so before we move on to the episode, I have just a couple of things I want to talk about. So today is June 13th, and I started uh, Sightless Fun exactly one year ago. Uh, on this date. So it's been a year when I started it. I had no idea where the website was going, but I started talking about board games and now it's exclusively about visual accessibility in board games. I started the website with one goal to share my hobbies with other blind people or people who were going blind later in life, just like myself. And yeah, one thing led to another. Uh, I met other people, then I started this podcast and so far it's been going great. So here's to uh, many more years. And the second thing I'd like to mention is that today is also my dad's birthday, uh, who passed away four years ago. And not long before he passed away, we got a final like diagnosis of my condition, retinitis pigmentosa. And I know that uh, even though he knew his time was limited due to a heart condition, uh, he was more worried for the progression of the deterioration of my eyesight rather than himself. So yeah, that if you're listening, um, I'm doing great. Uh, I've adjusted to this very nicely and yeah, happy birthday, dad. Happy birthday, Airtai's dad. Cheers. Um, with that said, let's move on to uh, the actual episode where we're going to talk about learning and teaching board games as a blind player. Before we start, um, Chris, why don't you tell us a bit about your background? Well, I am 43 years old. I'm unique in many ways other than just being blind. I'm also confined to a wheelchair. So in some ways that affects how I play games, which I'll probably get into it later. Um, I have the challenges that I do because when I was a year old, I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, mm -hmm. and I've had that obviously my whole life. I was able to walk, run, play, swim, jump, just like any other kid until I was about 10. 
and I became confined to a uh, manual wheelchair. And then when I was about 12 or 13, I was um, confined to a motorized wheelchair, which I've been in ever since. Um, and a lot of people don't know that JRA in several ways can affect eyesight. So when I was 15, I had 20-20 vision up until I was 15, at which time I became legally blind. Hmm. And then I lost my remaining vision in 2011. Um, when I had good vision as a child, I was able to play board games like Monopoly and stuff like that. And then after 15 years old, I just played video games. And then in 2011, I couldn't do any of that anymore other than just listen to audiobooks. And currently, I also uh, work for a charity called Wheelchairs for Kids, where I write articles about children who are disabled. And we provide mobility equipment for these kids. Um, so even though I'm blind and I'm confined to a wheelchair, I have a great life and I've been able to meet people through my charity and I've been able to meet people through BGG like you, Airtie, and I've created a board gaming group, which I'm active with. Uh, in fact, I'm doing a gaming group tonight and that is a little about myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's very impressive. Uh, I really like what you're doing with your board game group. I'm following it on Facebook. I will post a link in the show notes for anyone looking to join or who is nearby. So yeah, maybe, maybe you find, uh, you meet new players after this Hopefully, episode. Yeah. yeah. We're always looking for new people to join. And, uh, my, a lot of the people in the group say it's like family. They finish their day at work, they come over and they look forward to that all week. And it's really a sweet group. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, so do you remember how you got into the hobby? Like, do you remember what your first game was? Gosh, the first, well, first of all, I didn't realize I could play board games at all until I discovered a uh, chessboard for people who are blind. And, and I learned how to play that well I always knew how to play chess because when I was a little kid but that was the first thing that made me realize I could do something blind other than just listen to audiobooks um then later years later I wanted something that was more of a group experience and I went to books a million and I was looking at games there because they are very unique and I found pandemic and walking dead best defense and there was a term that I wasn't really familiar with called cooperative and I knew Dungeons and Dragons was cooperative and all that because I played that once when I was a child. So I was kind of curious. So I looked up uh, YouTube videos of cooperative board games, and the one that always came up, came up was Pandemic. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. So I bought Walking Dead, Best Defense, and Pandemic. Walking Dead was really great, uh, but it was so hard as a two-player game, which I mostly play, that I quickly gave it to one of my friends because it was just impossible. <laughs> uh, fun game, but it's best as a three or four player. Right. So then I moved on to Pandemic, and at first when I read the instructions, it made my ears want to bleed. Um, of course, I'll get into how I read instructions later on. But mm -hmm. once I learned how to play Pandemic, it just blew the doors wide open, and I became hooked. Uh, and since then, you know, I played all kinds of games. Shortly after Pandemic was uh, Legends of Andor, and that really scratched the itch I had for role-playing games because before I lost my vision, I was really heavy into Final Fantasy and Fantasy Star games back from the old Genesis. And I kind of missed the role-playing experience. So when I discovered Legends of Andor, it was very similar to a console RPG game, but except I was a board game. 
And that was the other thing that really got me hooked. And I realized after that, that, man, this is just an awesome hobby. So as my friends tell me, I'm so obsessed that they think I need intervention. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They're joking, of course. But uh, yeah, that's how much I love the hobby and what I do. And since, since then, I created Tarpon Tabletop Gamers and I have been trying to share it with as many people as possible. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 really awesome. Uh, like my friends keep telling me whenever I bring a new board game to the table, and they just go, "But you don't have to buy any more games. We have plenty. We can play for a full year at least." Uh, but yeah, I mean, you just want to try new things. Um, what's your current favorite board game, and why? Well, I have. I kind of uh, categorize it. I'd say my favorite competitive game is Star Realms because it's a pretty easy game to set up. It's an easy game to put away. And usually the game doesn't take too long to play. And I just love the pure strategy and the competition involved in it. So that's my number one favorite competitive game. Second to that might be Clank because it's another deck building except this one has a board element to that. And I like how each time the game is played is totally different and it's a lot of fun cooperative games i would say my favorite is legends of andor it is by far the most complicated cooperative game i played and because of that reason it's also the least played but Mm. i have a lot of fun with that because it's got the rpg adventure element and it's the board has an epic feel to it it's i can't see it but i've uh, people have described it to me, and it's just an amazing game. But it's about a 30, 40 minute uh, time to set it up, to put it away, and probably about three or four hours to play. So it's a beast of a game. But as far as cooperative gaming, Legends of Andor is awesome. Then for group games, see, because I have my gaming group right now, I say Cash, Cash and Guns is my favorite. It's very, again, it's an easy game but it just really gets people interacting with each other. And everybody loves playing with foam guns. And that really makes people laugh and have a good time. And I think um, Tall Tales is another really good game I like. It's probably more of an activity, less as a game, because there's no strategy involved. It's just storytelling. But from a blind gamer's perspective, Tall Tales is as easy as it gets. And so those are really the four games that I really like, but definitely for competitive games, Star Realms, and for cooperative games, Legends of Andor. Yeah. Do you play Star Realms uh, two-player usually, or do you play it with more? Usually two players, and it's best as a two-player game. I have a friendly rivalry with uh, somebody I've been friends with for a few years named Paul, and he's as good as a player I am, so every now and then we get together and we just pound each other with Star Realms, and he'll win, and I'll win, and we rib each other during the game, and it's a lot of fun. So usually two players. The last night I did a three-player game with my friend Paul and one of his friends, John, and that was just as much fun. But it took, because it was a three-player game, and everybody was very defensive. It actually was quite a long game. It probably took, I don't know, maybe two hours to play. But um, because we are all healing, we all had outposts which were protected us. So it's a very defensive game. But 
Uh, yeah, Star Wars is best as a two-player. So that's how I usually play the game. After our group chats that we've had uh, with the blind group, so we have this blind group going on that we meet monthly. And mm-hmm. uh, you and uh, I believe yeah Ryan mentioned, I think you also bought that game recently. And I have Star Realms in my wishlist as well. Uh, it's currently towards the top. So I'm hoping to pick it up soon as well. I've heard great things about that game. It is very doable as a blind gamer. And the more you play it, the more you will get used to the cards that you purchase. In the beginning, you'll have to have somebody read them all to you. But after a while, they just give you the title and you'll realize, okay, I know what that card does. You don't have to read anymore. Yeah. So it is very possible. And there's really no secret information involved. So it's a fun game. And you haven't modified your components in any way, right? The Star Realms No, ones. I have not modified any of my games. I do all of this thanks to uh, my best friend, Liz, who helps me. And sometimes my other friends, when they come over and they want to play a game, they'll help me too. But 99% of the times, it's Elizabeth that will help me with the game. She'll describe the board. She'll read me the cards. My friend Paul also does that when we play Star Realms. So it's there's no modification for any of my games. It's all with the help of sighted people. I could not do that without her or any of my other friends, definitely. Yeah. Um, what games have you played recently? Oh, let me think. Well, last time, I, last time, uh, last night, I should say, I played Star Realms. Week before that, we did Cash and Guns, and Dice Forge and Tall Tales. And mm. Dice Forge is another really fun custom dice game. It's simple. There's not much to the rules, and it's really cool because it's one of the few games, if not the only game, I think that you can actually make your own dice and. It was a good time. So those are the last few games that I played. And I think tonight for my gaming group, we might do an escape room game. Oh, uh, nice. And we will be playing another game called Secrets. But oh. these are from other members. So I've never played these before. So it'll be an interesting experience. Nice. You, I think you will enjoy Secrets. I played it a couple of weeks ago. And it has uh, only one type of hidden information basically like uh, your identity but the badges are tactile and the different factions can easily be determined by touch because uh, the icons are engraved Uh, so basically you're playing secret agents uh, either i believe it was cia or kgb or the third faction is hippies (laughs) Uh, i enjoyed that game quite a bit i'd love to hear uh, how it goes for you but yeah it, it was a really nice game and great because it supports up to eight people what uh, games have you recently played oh um recently well i the most recent game that i picked up was ghost stories and i have been hooked uh, i really i really enjoyed that game um uh we started uh playing in the normal well standard difficulty level we played four or five games and we won four or well we won uh we only lost one of them uh so recently we decided to play it uh in the nightmare difficulty level with four bosses in the ghost deck 
uh, and it's it's been we have lost three times so far, and I'm going to play it uh, in a couple of days again. Uh, but yeah, th- that's been the game that I've been spending a lot of time on. Uh, so yeah, Ghost Stories is a cooperative game where you have, um, you control Buddhist monks and you're trying to protect a village from a guy called Wu Fen, who is sending, uh, his, uh, armies to destroy it. And yeah, it's, it's a really, really enjoyable game. It apparently looks great on the table for those people that can see. Like it's very colorful. The figures are very nice. Uh, the combat is dice based, but you always are trying to mitigate uh, the luck factor in that game. And it's, it's really a clever game. It's brutally hard, especially at the nightmare difficulty. And there's another one, I believe it was called Hell. Uh, but it's, it's very satisfying, especially when you win, uh, or when you get out of tough situations, it's a very satisfying game. So yeah, that's been a game I've been playing mostly recently. As a blind gamer, what is the most challenging part of ghost stories? Um, well, I, I would say that it's even easier than Pandemic. So all of the information is public because it's a cooperative game, but because the board is very simple, so it's a modular board. So you have those uh, tiles that you form up a three by three grid of the village. So the village has different types of basically buildings. And at the beginning, you just randomize that just to make a different uh, layout for the village. And because it's only nine tiles, it's very easy to memorize. So once we randomize it and we basically like place the tiles on the table, my friend will just go over them one by one just to let me know like where, uh, which uh, village tile is located where, just so I have an idea. Otherwise, it's quite accessible, and I'm currently uh, working with uh, some uh, tags that uh, basically something like QR codes to put on the cards so that I can try to see if I can even play it solo. Because my friend uh, is really enjoys ghost stories, I don't think I will ever need to play that game solo, but just as an experiment, I'd like to see if I can make it work without any sighted assistance, so without any help. So, yeah, if if I get to do that and it works, I'll probably write about it on the website. Cheers to you if you could manage to play ghost stories by yourself. That would be quite a feat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think it's doable. Uh, so because it doesn't have that um, large map aspect where you need, well, that has, let's say, several locations that you need to memorize or how things are connected, it should be much easier. But anyway, let's let's move on to our uh, topic of the day or, well, the first part, learning board games as a blind player. So, Chris, can you tell me... What's your process like when you pick up a new game and you're trying to learn it? Do you do it by yourself? What tools do you use? What's your process like? The first thing I would probably do is I look at YouTube videos just to give myself a basic idea of gameplay. I will look at Rattle Runs Through, Dice Tower with Tom Bassel. I like Game Night, 
and a few other YouTube videos that give ideas of rules. And I usually lean towards the basic rules first and then more complicated rules if the game is complex like Spirit Island. And once I get a good idea of the background of a game, then I'll start looking for digital downloads for rule books. Obviously, because I'm blind, I'm not able to read the rule books that come with the games. And, and I don't know Braille either. So that and I'm not going to have my friend Liz or anybody else read a rule book for Spirit Island or Dragonfire because that would go in one year and out the other within two minutes. <laughs> so I look for my own versions, uh, text versions on the Internet. Yeah. Usually, if not every time, these rule books come in PDF files. And sometimes it's fine, but more often than not, it doesn't work with my text-to-speech. I use on my computer Zoom text, which is by, I think, Freedom Scientific. Mm -hmm. And it works great in some ways, but it doesn't handle PDF files very well. Images can throw off the reading order if uh, the text is done in a columnal format, like an old-fashioned textbook that can throw off the reading order. So then I tried to convert the PDF files to text files and arrange it myself. Usually this doesn't work either. So then my last resort to, because I try, I'm very independent, I try to do things on my own if I am able to. So the last resort is to send messages on BoardGameGeek. And so far, 100% of the time, some awesome person has always sent me modified rule books to help me with the game. The best was for Dragonfire, which is a cooperative deck building Dungeons and Dragons game. And a person, an amazing person, rearranged the rule book for me. And she, this person, I, I don't know what her real name is, but it's Principia. Mm. And this individual took out all the images and replaced them with text descriptions. This uh, individual put all the side notes because there's a lot of side notes in Dragonfire and put it within the main text of the document. So everything in there was done. And this really is the gold standard for designers and publishers to make rule books for people who are blind. Take out the images, put in text descriptions, put any side notes and then the main text of the, of the document. And to give an example of how frustrating it could be for somebody who's blind i will come across a passage and i'm just making this up as i go it's just a generic rule something might say when the player token reaches the end of the track the game ends now for a blind person this makes no sense right uh, what when a player token reaches this symbol at the end of the track the game ends well what's the player token and what's this symbol mean yeah so what might be done and say Dragonfire um, or any game. I'm just, again, I'm making this up. This isn't actual text in any game, but it, a good replacement for somebody who's blind would be when a heart token reaches the skull and crossbones symbol, the game ends. Right. So that means for the blind gamer, okay, so the player token is a heart and at the end of the track is a skull and crossbones. So this makes it a whole lot easier to learn a game. So something simple like that. And once a designer puts that game up on the internet for download, 
say like Microsoft Word or any other document, then you just have to do it one time. You don't have to do it several times, just like any rule book that's digital and can be downloaded. And that would be, that's a huge help. So that's the next step is trying to find a rule book. And once I do that, I download it onto this portable machine I have called a Victor Reader made by Humanware. And it kind of looks like a remote control with a SD card in it. And it connects to the internet, which is how I can listen to your podcast airtime. And, but it also reads text files. And sometimes I'll wake up at three in the morning or four in the morning and I'll start listening to a rule book that I am learning how to play recently. That would be spirit Island. And it has this uh, human war victory. It has text to speech. Any button I press is it reads back to me what that button does. And it's really awesome. So that's the next step of how I learn a game. Mm. And once I get a handle of the rules, then Liz and I will watch YouTube videos, or in my case, listen to YouTube videos, and she picks up the visuals. And once she's got the visuals down, then we try to put our knowledge together and slowly, with baby steps, learn a game. And yeah. uh, like Spirit Island is pretty challenging. In fact, next to Legends of Andor, it's probably the hardest game I've had to learn. And it's taken a little while. I've got most of the rules down, but the player board. There's a lot to it and a lot of marks and icons and pictures. So I'm trying to learn those as I go. And I'm trying to explain the rules as well to Liz so I can help her explain what the icons mean as she describes what those look like. And Mm -hmm. once I learn that, if I have any questions and I'll post specific questions on Board Game Geek, like what does this card mean? What does this picture mean? And that's pretty much the step. It's takes a long time. When I first learned Pandemic, I think I played it 10 times before I actually learned how to play the game. Mm. One of the first times I played it, when I cured a disease, I took all the cubes off right away, which is equivalent to yeah. second god mode in a console game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but so, that, that's a common mistake as well. Like uh, Sighted people do that a lot of the times. Like I've seen a lot of uh, forum posts <laughs> where people say like, Pandemic is too easy. This doesn't seem right. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. people just uh, point them to some sort of frequently asked questions or frequently made mistakes. And then they just go, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it takes a lot of patience. Anybody who is blind and wants to learn a game or anybody who is sighted and wants to help a blind person learn a game, it takes a lot of patience. And you have to be very thorough and pretty methodical too. You can't just get right into a game and play it unless it's a simple group game, maybe like Cash and Guns or something like that. Mm-hmm. But for the complicated games, which I seem to lean towards, <laughs> oddly yeah. enough, uh, like Legends of Andor, Spirit Island, Clank, stuff like that, then you have to take your time and don't be in a rush to learn it. Just do baby steps. And when yeah. you get one thing down pat, then you go on to the next rule. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that that's so you you mentioned that uh you're basically like uh Liz plays a huge role in learning a game and it's the same for me. Like I the games that I've learned so far, like I spend a lot of time before hitting the table or well while the game is in the post coming towards uh North Macedonia. Uh I spend like time watching YouTube videos, going through the digital rule book. And even after that, I still require 
either my brother or one of my friends to help during the first uh, playthrough of the game. That's so one of the problems that we have. Well, the difficulties is that we can't, let's say, sit alone, just pick the game up and like do the setup ourselves and just try to play uh, the game for ourselves. So that's not really possible for us. But you can definitely work around it with help uh, by others. Yeah, I couldn't do it without Liz and my other friends. As far as playing games by yourself, I am hoping someday that these ports of board games on apps will be accessible for blind people. For example, I know Star Realms is out there, but I can't play it, which is really frustrating. And I know Pandemic, and I think even Stone Age has an app that you can play. Yeah, pretty much uh, all of the games have an app nowadays. Yeah, and if there was text-to-speech and some sort of descriptions of cards and stuff like that. I also have an Alexa, an Amazon Alexa, which will probably go off now that I said her name. Um, <laughs> she has games on there, like No Thanks, which is actually a card game. And it would be really neat if somebody produced board game versions on Alexa because it's designed really well for people who can't see because there are no visuals in the Amazon Echo. And mm-hmm. a simple game like Dungeon Roll, which is a dice rolling game, there's not a lot of rules towards it. You're just rolling dice and each one does something different. Would be great if somebody could make a port like that in Alexa skill. But then that would give people like you and I more independence. And if we wanted to play a board game or a card game, we would have that for us. And I'm hoping someday that will happen, especially with my favorite game, Star Realms, because I'd like to be more competitive. They have tournaments, and and I would like to be able to participate in something like that. Right before getting into board games, the last video game I was playing was called Hearthstone by Blizzard Entertainment. Uh, If you've heard about the... Warcraft games it's basically from that universe and it's a card game basically a dueling game and I really enjoyed playing that game but as my site deteriorated um, I required much longer to read the card descriptions and with all the new expansions coming out where they added new cards memorizing the cards uh, was not really possible because you can't really memorize, I don't know, 300, 400 cards. Uh, so every time my opponent would play something new that I hadn't seen before, I'd have to like mouse over. And until I was reading the description, because the game is played online, um, the timer would start ticking. And before I could make my move, my timer would expire. So yeah, uh, perhaps it would be good for them to, let's say, disable or have an option to play with people who would like to disable the timer. But yeah, because just because of that timer, I had to stop playing that game. And yeah, I, I really wish that more uh, apps uh, for board games were accessible with the screen reader because uh, it's much easier uh, to make those games accessible because they are turn-based and they well most of the games have like limited information that you need to uh, learn uh or, or well you need to know at one given point so i'm very surprised that there's no um well at least i haven't been able to find an accessible version of backgammon 
Like uh, that's a very simple game that should be possible to play with a screen reader, but no one has. Well, at least uh, I haven't found someone that has made a version of Backgammon. Well, right now uh, there's a huge push in accessibility for video games. So I hope some of that will also help with uh, apps for board games. It, it would be really cool. And I hope somebody does that. I have sent messages. I sent a message to White Wizard Games about making a uh, Star Realms app accessible. And they said they were going to look into it. So I hope they genuinely do that. So if Darwin Castle or Rob Dougherty are hearing this, <laughs> please do. You'd, you would have a whole new fan base if you made your Star Realms apps available for somebody who is blind. You got two guys here who would already be interested in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, there are, there's this forum called audiogames.net where people are just creating audio games because the traditional games are not very accessible to them. So they just create their own audio games to play. But if more games like, I don't know, card games or board games were accessible, a lot of people would play them if they were accessible enough. So you mentioned that rule books are one of your biggest uh, challenges. Besides problems with rule books, have you had any other challenges when learning a game? Well, Roblox is definitely the biggest one. Um, when I learn a game, if it's a large board, trying to understand the visuals can be pretty tough, like Legends of Andor, especially when there's lots of tracks. And that's when Liz helps me to, she describes the board to me. That's really tough. But really the hardest one is, are the rule books. And mm-hmm. once I get find a rule book that's accessible for me, then uh, then it's it's simpler, not easy by far, but it makes it e- it makes it a lot easier to have that rule book. And when I play a game with a complicated board like Clank or Andor, as a blind person, you have to learn how to ask the right questions. Right. Specifically with games that have a lot of spaces, and there's spatial qualities to it. Like if your piece is in this space you need to know what are the spaces adjacent to you. So if I'm playing Andor, I have to ask Liz, okay, my dwarf is here. How far, how many spaces away is the parchment? And she will say, okay, she'll count it. She'll tell me it's 10 spaces away. And I won't go into all the rules of Andor, but there's a heavy time management to it where every space you move takes an hour and there's seven hours in a day if you go... In the overtime, then there's 10 hours. And once you reach that limit, then it goes on a new day. And there's a time track that limits how quickly you can play the game. And if you reach the end of the track before you complete the quest, the game loses. And the track mm. moves each time a new day happens. So I have to really think hard about Legends of Andor to manage the time efficiently. So if that parchment is 10 spaces away... I know I'm not going to be able to get that in this day. So maybe I get something closer, like a rune, and go for that might be three spaces. So one way, you know, thing I have to do when I learn a game and to play a game is ask the right questions. And that's also really important. Probably next to fighting a rule book, asking the right questions is the most important thing to help learn a game when you're working with somebody who's sighted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And 
<laughs> as you're talking, like uh, I can see myself. Like that's it's exactly the same for me. Like the more you play the game, the more you learn which things are more important to you, and you know the right questions to ask. So that even when playing with other people that you don't play with, uh, because some people in my group change often, like uh, we are a larger group, but sometimes some of those folks uh, come to a game night, some people can't. And uh, I, I need assistance from different people. So it's much easier for them when I know exactly what I'm looking for. You also have to be very patient And when you're learning a game, don't expect to play that game the first time all the way through. And when you do play a game, also realize that for when a blind gamer is involved, the time that the game takes to play can be two or three times as long as it is on the box. So if the box says 30 minutes, add about 60 on it. Because a blind gamer is going to have to ask questions. What is this card? What is this space? What, where am I at on the board? What's near me? And all those little descriptions and questions can slow the game down. So patience on the side of the blind person and patience on the side of the other players is another thing that's really important to learning and playing a board game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. You mentioned that uh, you also use videos or you go to the Board Game Geek files section where they post summaries uh, yes. of uh games so usually those summaries are actually pretty accessible at least from what i've found because they write them up in words and then just publish them to pdf which usually is quite accessible mm -hmm. uh so do you prefer any of the other methods over rule books or is it always like a combination of all of those extra resources it's a combination of rule books and youtube videos And then if I don't understand something, I ask BGG forums about a specific rule or card. But as I listen to rule book, I'll watch videos and watching, or in my case, listening to the videos gives me an idea how a game is played. And that makes everything click a little bit more. And it's mm -hmm. usually a very repetitive process. For example, Dragonfire, I think the rule book that the person did for me, modified for me, was about 68 pages. And I read that over and over again for about three months plus before I felt I was comfortable enough to play it. And then I would watch uh, Ronald runs through. He played that game. And basically, it's a combination of rule books and videos. And depending on the complexity of the game, I watch different videos. So if it's just a simple video, Tom Vassell, Dice Tower, and the other crew in Dice Tower will help with that because they give basic rules, but if I need something more complex, I'll go to Rado. Game Night is really cool. In fact, Game, Game Night is one of my favorites because they all are there at the table on it with the game at, at the same time, and one person is explaining the rules, the mm -hmm. other gamers ask the questions, and then they go on to play it. And as this one person is playing and taking his turns, he's explaining what's going on and why he's doing it. So Game Night is a really good resource because it's a little bit of everything. You get the rules and you get the gameplay. So, yeah, yeah it's I, I really like YouTube videos for that too. Yeah, I've used Game Night a lot myself before buying a game or, as I said, if I've ordered a game 
and I'm waiting for it to arrive, uh, I definitely search if there's a game night video of it. I've also used uh, Rodney Smith, Watch It Played. He has some great tutorials uh, for games, like very concise and to the point. Is there anything special you would uh, ask designers or game publishers to do that would make learning games easier uh, for people who are blind? Well, if you make videos of how to play a game, make sure you mention what a symbol looks like, what a card looks like. Put in that little extra effort so somebody who is blind is listening to your video, they will know what you are discussing. If you are teaching a game on YouTube and you say, this card does this and this little piece over here reaches the track, this happens. That doesn't make any sense to somebody who's blind. Uh, one thing I like about game night is sometimes they will talk, the uh, fellow who teaches the games at game night, he'll actually mention an icon. And Rado does that too. But most of the time, it's very vague. They'll just mention this symbol or that symbol. Yeah. Or this image. And so... Or they will designer, just show it to the yeah. camera. Well, they might show it to the camera. Yeah. But it doesn't help somebody who is blind. Right. So when somebody is doing an instructional video, it will, would go a long way for a blind person to describe what you are showing in the camera. And as far as modifying boards, Dice Forge has a really cool element where the player boards have notches. And you put the little cubes in the notches, and that's how you keep track of your gold, your runes, what is it, sun shards, moon shards, yeah. and your glory points. And that little text element is really nice. And also having dice that have that are textured would really help too. Or even just simple regular dice, but with notches on them, like one one notch, uh, six sided would have six little notches on it. Something simple like that. Yeah, But for somebody who is blind, if any publisher wants to make a game that is completely accessible, texture is really important and touch. Because for somebody who is blind, they require, they're using their hearing and they're using their sense of touch. So those are the most important things that you want to exploit and help a blind person use. So we talked about learning a game and I know that you are... Well, you mentioned that you are uh, hosting a group and you have probably taught uh, several games. Could you describe your teaching process as a blind gamer? Well, as a blind gamer, of course, I have Liz help me. When I teach a game, and this doesn't have anything to do with my vision, but this is just a method I have developed that I think helps people learn a game, is to describe the game's setting and theme. So hopefully all the rules after that explanation will make sense. Uh, for example, pandemic, I will say we are researchers or we are specialists from the CDC traveling around the world trying to cure four devastating viruses before they get out of control. And then I will say next, the only way to win a game is to cure all four viruses. And there are different ways of losing a game but they all mean that one or four of the viruses got out of control and time has run out. So that's how I explain the theme or the setting of a game so that all the rules afterwards will make more sense. Then I will take my first turn 
and I will explain my what I'm doing in my turn and what that means for the game. So if when pandemic, I'll say there are four actions you take, and I'll briefly describe what a, what each action action is, and I will tell the other players that these rules are also on your cards. You can look at the back of your cards. And as I'm explaining the rules, as I do my first turn, Liz will point to symbols on the card. She'll point to areas on the board. So as I'm explaining those rules and those parts of the game, she's pointing out the visuals. So if I mention when the outbreak meter reaches this point, Liz will point at the outbreak meter and she'll point at I don't remember what's at the end of it. Maybe skull and crossbones or something. Yep, she'll that's it. Reach that, and then I'll say the game ends when this happens, and she'll point to it, and then I'll explain the outbreak meter and what how that affects the game. So, Liz really is instrumental, and any person who has helped me learn a game who is cited has been instrumental in pointing out the visuals. I as I explain what those visuals mean. Yeah, it's a team effort. Yeah, and then I also ask before I, after I finish one group of rules, I will say, do you have any questions? If nobody has a question, then I will move on to the next part of my turn or another part of the rules of a game, just to make sure that I don't get too far ahead of anybody and they can keep up with what's going on. Also, um, the other thing is in my gaming group, when I play a new game nobody has learned yet, I will mm-hmm. post YouTube videos so people can get a heads up of what game we're playing. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's nice. Um, I usually don't do that with my own group. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should try sometimes. But yeah, as we're moving now to more complex games, like the most complex game currently I have in my collection is Castles of Burgundy. Well, it's not complex once you know the rules. It's just that it has a lot of different things. Like the tiles can do different things. And I believe uh, in the Board Game Geek site, the weight for that game is 3 out of 5. So yeah, that's definitely my most uh, difficult game. But if I send them a 15... Or 20 minute video explaining the rules that probably just go oh no this is too hard for us we're not going to play so yeah and that's the other danger and something about teaching games to friends or gaming group is you really have to get a feel for what kind of games do they enjoy if they lean towards the lighter sides of a game you don't want to teach them spirit island if they lean towards <laughs> heavy games you don't want to teach them a simple game that will bore them and not keep their interest. So you also have to understand your group and who you're playing with Yeah. when, uh, when you teach them a game. I'm slowly like uh, moving to more complex games with my group and I see that some of them are enjoying it. So I'm pretty happy with that because now I can also invest in uh, more difficult games that are not just entry-level games. So before you teach a game... How many times do you play it before you're comfortable? You said that you probably played Pandemic about 10 times before you learned it yourself. How about teaching? How much time do you give a game before you feel like comfortable to teach it to others? 
depends on the complexity. In the case of pandemic, the only game I really knew before that, well, not the only game, but I was used to classic American roll and move games like Monopoly, where you roll the dice, you do what the space says. And usually what the space says either gives you one option or two options or none. You know, it's pretty pretty yeah. basic. You roll by roll five spaces and you lose a turn. There's not a whole lot there to learn. So when I got the pandemic, that just boggled my mind with how complex <laughs> it was. So uh, yeah, it took me 10 times because I was not used to games where you didn't have dice. I wasn't used to actions and things of that nature and player powers. So it really depends on the game's complexity. Cash mm-hmm. and Guns, my group game, I learned. We actually played that and learned the game on the fly. Uh, somebody at our gaming store, Warehouse 51, actually loaned us the game because it looked fun. Like, oh, he, he let us borrow it for one night. So I didn't know anything about it except that it looked like a fun game. So we learned it on the fly. And I liked it so much I got it a couple weeks later. And I read the rule book and I realized, oh, we really only missed one rule in the game, but everything else we got right. Yeah. So if the game is simple enough, you can learn it right away with your friends. But if it's complicated, like Spirit Island, oh, I haven't yeah. even started playing yet. I think I've been reading the rule book maybe for a couple months now. So it really depends on the game itself. And then that'll give me an idea of when I can actually teach it. But I don't teach a game until I know it like the back of my hand. Because if mm-hmm. I don't know a game, when I take it to a game night, it just drags it on. And there's really no point because instead of having quality time with your friends playing and laughing over a game, you're getting frustrated with rules. Yeah. And it just eats the time up. So it depends on the complexity. Yeah. What, what are the biggest challenges when you're teaching a game? Um, I've noticed that uh, one of the problems I've had is that when I don't have another sighted player around who has played the game to basically point something out if I've made a mistake. For example, what happened to me with my cousin's son, who is 10 years old, I was teaching him pandemic and I was instructing him to, well, when he's treating a disease to remove uh, one cube or when the medic was when it was the medic's turn that uh, he'd need to remove three cubes instead of just one so as i'm telling giving him those instructions as we play uh for some of the instructions he hadn't followed them correctly or maybe maybe i didn't explain it to them to him uh correctly so because i can see i can't really uh fix his mistakes on the fly and I could only catch that a few turns later when uh, I tell him to let's say put another cube in London and I know that London was uh, clear had no cubes and he says okay this is supposed to be the fourth cube now and I'm like wait a minute that should be clear so because you can see you can't really fix those mistakes on the fly have you had uh, any problems like that or what are your other challenges when teaching a game? Well, the biggest, I guess, challenge to teaching a game is when there are other conversations going on at the table. And I'm very soft-spoken. I don't have a loud voice. So I've learned that I, I can't teach when people are talking. So I just sit back for a while and let my gaming group converse and catch up because we meet every week and they become like a family. 
So I realized not to push it, just let them talk, ask them about each other's week and stuff like that. And then eventually and ultimately somebody will say, so Chris, what game are we playing? And then I'll start teaching. So yeah, yeah the biggest the biggest challenge, aside obviously from being blind, is trying to talk over people and teaching a game. But I've learned how to get around that for the most part by just let, letting people talk and and then eventually they'll want to play something. As far as getting rules wrong, uh, sometimes this happens, but it doesn't really break a game. And I'll let it go because my, for me, the priority is just to make sure that my gaming group has a good time and they laugh and they have fun. And I don't want to be too much of a killjoy and say, oh, no, you can't do that. If they're having fun and if the rule that's not being followed very well doesn't break the game completely, then I just go with it. And if we play that game again later on, I'll say, hey, look, this is where we went wrong with that game. And instead of this, we need to do this. And this yeah. is the actual rule. So I just I just let it go for the most part and wait until the next game is played. Because my priority is just to make sure that everybody has a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just also remembered uh, another thing. Uh, so I've mentioned Camelup on the podcast before. Uh, not sure. Have you played Camelup before? No, but I've heard a lot of good stuff about it. Yeah, so yeah, Camelup is a betting game where racing uh, camels uh, are, well, camels are racing around the pyramid and the players are betting on it. So there are spots starting from 1 to, I believe it was 16. And when we were playing, uh, when I would ask for the current board state, like, where's the blue camel located? And they would say it's in number three or number five or whatever, the wherever the camel was located. And I got the game uh, one day. Uh, we went to a relative's house and I was supposed to teach two of my cousins. So we're going to play a three-player game. But because my brother wasn't with me, I was supposed to do the teaching without anyone else around the table who knew the game uh, before. And I'm just going, okay, so on the board, you should see the track numbered basically from 1 to 16. And during the initial setup, uh, you basically roll dice for each camel just to put them in their starting positions. So it can either be 1, 2, or 3. and uh, some of the camels rolled the number three and I tell them, okay, so that, uh, let's say the blue camel should go on the third spot. And my cousin just says, um, I don't see a spot labeled number three. And I'm like, are you sure? And then she goes, so there's one, there's two, there's four, there's six, there's eight. So I had no idea that not all of the spots were uh, had numbers on them. So basically, sighted people know uh, that that's the third one or the fifth one, but not all of them were labeled. And I was very surprised. I had played the game, I don't know, 15 times at least before that. <laughs> and yeah, when I was teaching it, I found out that not all the spots uh, have numbers on them. It could definitely be a challenge. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this is where what you mentioned with Liz, like she's following the visuals. That's where that help is so important. And the requirement to memorize all that information, uh, it's wow. Right. So do you have any tips 
uh, for blind players who are teaching board games? Try to have somebody who is sighted with you so they can point to elements of the board that you're explaining. Be patient with the group. Be patient with yourself. It's probably the most important thing. Don't get frustrated if what you're teaching isn't working out. You know, it's a very hard thing to do is, is teaching board games blind. It's, you know, <laughs> we're, if you can do that, you can probably do anything. Um, so it's very tough and just don't get frustrated and be patient with yourself and trust your knowledge and what you can do. And if it doesn't work the first time, try, try it again, you know, if, just uh, don't give up on it and keep, if you don't understand the game well enough to teach it, keep learning yourself, have somebody sighted, learn it with you, and just don't give up. Yeah, and how about sighted players that are teaching uh, other blind gamers? Well, again, uh, just be very patient with the sighted person and describe the visuals in as much detail as you can so the blind person knows what is going on on the board and the cards, and it will help make the rules make more sense for that blind gamer. Um, and uh, oh, what else? Yeah, just be thorough with the board, with the cards, and describe what an image looks like. Is it a hard image? Is it a sword? Is it uh, you know a dragon picture? Uh, if there are or any, if there is anything in the game that has texture, like tall tales have these little textured rubber toys that kids might get in a quarter machine at Walmart or something. If there's anything textured like that, give that to the blind gamer so they know what this little piece feels like. And yeah. be patient as they're trying to learn the game with you because it's, it's really a group effort. Yeah, I found the last point that you made there, uh, handing game components to the blind person is very helpful. I really like basically like touching the components when mm-hmm. I'm learning a game just to get that tactile feedback, basically. Yeah. yeah and when I learn a game, when I when I learn a game with Liz, I always say, let me have this piece so I know what it feels like. For instance, yeah. with Stone Age, I was feel I felt the meeples and the little wood pieces and the gold pieces, and that was Spirit Island specifically. It's one thing neat about Spirit Island is a lot of the pieces are very distinct from one another. Like the Dahan, mm-hmm. they feel like little mushrooms. <laughs> and then there's the towns and cities are very distinct. The towns are similar to the cities, but they're smaller. And then there's little figures that it feels like people have their arms up or something like that. Mm-hmm. So in the case of Spirit Island, a lot of the pieces are very distinct from one another. And as a blind player, I appreciate that as well. Okay, so we're slowly coming up to the end of this episode. Um, finally, I'd like to ask you, would you recommend some games to some of our blind listeners? Well, um, I think the easiest one is the one I mentioned previously, Tall Tales. It is te- it's a very simple game where you have tiles. Each tile represents a scene, and you put a certain number of tiles out in the middle of the boards, out of the middle of the table, I mean. And the tile might be a cave with bats. Another one might be the inside of a passenger airline with maybe a little girl holding a doll and a seat. 
Another one might be a bars landscape or moon landscape, anything various. And then in the bag are these textured rubber toys, which I also, which I mentioned. And each player gets a certain number of these. And the first person takes one of their little pieces and puts it on the tile and tells a story beginning with that piece and what that piece is doing in the scene. And then the second player continues on with their piece that they place on that same tile or another tile. So everybody goes around until all the little rubber props are gone and you create basically one long story or epic. And it's not for everybody because there's no winner. There's no loser. Not every, you're not cooperating to win the board like pandemic. It is practically a storytelling game, but it is really easy for somebody who is blind. You can, the tiles are easy for somebody to describe to you. The little props are well-defined. So if you get one of the props might be a mailbox and the front of it opens up. So you can tell it's a mailbox. Another one might be a bed and you can feel the bed and there's a convertible sports car, which is easy to tell. Mm-hmm. So they're very defined and distinct. And that's good for somebody who is blind, especially children, because this is primarily a family game. So if there's any, if there are any blind kids, this would be really great for them. Yeah. And that's, so it's really, as far as a blind accessible game i would highly recommend tall tales other ones would be dungeon roll because the rules are very simple i think brian counter did a review for this on onboard games yes and so somebody could refer to that and it's just a dice rolling game that simulates a dungeon crawl and the dice are textured so Mm -hmm. i suppose if you took enough time feeling the dice you would understand what each side means. Uh, Cashing Guns is a group game that's really fun. It has visual aspects to it. One of the most, the, probably the most visual aspect is pointing a gun at a player, but as you know, air tie. As yeah. long as you can hear somebody's voice, you know where to point that foam gun to. Right. So that's not even hard. And if you point it in the wrong space or at the wrong person, somebody could guide you. Unless they're really sadistic and they're just messing with you. <laughs> but uh, and Cash and Guns also has secret cards, but you only get eight, three bang, five clicks. So you can just easily play the game out in your head and tell a sighted player to discard a click or a bang, depending on which card you want to play Yeah. Um, after it's played. So that's easy. Ink and Gold is another one. It, there's only two cards per player, a torch and a camp. And in uh, Ink and Gold, you are going through a temple trying to fight, trying to find treasures and gold and other things. And the torch means you're going further into the temple, which is represented by cards. And if you camp, you leave the temple and take all your treasure with you. And there's more rules to that. But the cards are secret, but everybody lays the card down at the same time that they choose. Mm-hmm. So when I play, I say one, two, three, and as everybody lays their cards down, I just say camper torch. So I don't even play yeah. the cards because it's a really simple, easy game for somebody to play who is blind. And it's fun. Um, King of Tokyo has textured dice, so that's not a bad gamer, uh, not a bad game for somebody who is blind. Uh, those are the ones I would really recommend specifically for people who are blind. 
Although, if you have enough patience and the sighted person you're with has enough patience, you can play any game. As I said, I'm learning Spirit Island, which is about as complex as it gets. I learned how to play and absolutely love Legends of Andor. And that game is really visual because the board is huge and it consists of probably 70 spaces. But if you ask the right questions, if you know the rules, you can play it. It's just don't expect to do it in one sitting. You might have to keep the board up for a couple days. So anybody who is blind can play pretty much any game. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the show. And uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, either via email or social media, can you tell us how people can reach you? Yes, my email is letter C, as in cat, my last name, L-E-H-M-A-N, as in Mike Alpha November, and then the number two, letter K, number nine. So it's C-L-E-H-M-A-N-2-K-9 at gmail.com. And also you can find me um, at my gaming group page, which is on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Tarpon Tabletop, which is a little city in west coast of Florida, North Pinellas. And it is definitely easily the only gaming group in Tarpon Springs and definitely the best one in North Pinellas because we get a lot of really great people. And what's neat is in my gaming group, we are all so different. The very first person I taught probably a year plus ago was this young man named Ryan who has Asperger's Mm. and he is completely brilliant. And one of the best gamers I played with, I could teach him a game one time, no matter its complexity. And he doesn't ask questions. He gets the rules right off the bat. And if it's a cooperative game, he usually, if not always gets the game winning tactic. And Mm. there are other people I've taught games to a British woman, not a British woman, a woman who was born and raised in Germany uh-huh. and she grew up with complicated games like pandemic. So I, so I've taught games with somebody like her and they, we have computer programmers. We have people in my charity wheelchairs for kids that are in my group. And we just all come, come from many different backgrounds. And when we get together on a Thursday night, which is the time we all gather It's like a family. So if you're in the area and you're looking for a group to play, and especially if you happen to be blind, come to our group because I teach most of the games. I love this as a hobby. I share it with as many people as I can, and I'd be happy to teach any game. We have a list of games in the Facebook website. Most of them are mine. Some are owned by other people. And if it's not a game I have, somebody else will teach their game and bring it. So we share games. And it's not just me, but yeah, it is, it's a wonderful group I have. And we've done things for the charity that we work for. We've had uh, raffles and just the people are in it are amazing. So if you're in the area, contact me. My name is Chris Lehman. I'm definitely on the Tarpon Tabletop group page. And if you want to join, send me a message saying, hey, I heard you on Sightless Fun and I'd love to join your group. And the reason I request that is sometimes I get spam. And as a moderator for the group, I protect, I do the best to protect the people 
from getting spam messages. So if I see a request from a very generic page with no picture, maybe the main photo was a flower pot or something, <laughs> and there's no information on it, and nobody sends me a message, I will... What I will you shall also, not pass. Yeah, I will send a message <laughs> just to be sure. Say, hey, I got your request. Tell me what kind of games you're interested in. And if they don't respond, I re- quickly realize it's probably a bot or a spammer, and I'll deny it. So if you want to join our group, send me a message. Let me know you heard me on Sightless Fun, and I would love to have you. And hopefully we will see you someday. As always, all of the links, email, contact information will be in the show notes. And if I forget anything, you will you can just contact me either via sightlessfun at outlook.com or you can find me on Twitter at sightlessfun. So yeah, you can also check out our website www.sightless.fun. And Chris, thank you so much for joining the show. I I had a lot of fun today. And uh, looking forward to have you again sometime on the hey, show. Hi, this is my first podcast. And after this, I'm going to my gaming group. And I just want to say it's a dream. You know, I'm living a dream and I love life. And this has been an honor and a pleasure to be on you with your show, especially your anniversary. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, thank you for having me on when it's your anniversary of Sightless Fun. And yeah. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm completely honored to be here. Yeah, yeah. It was it was great to have you here. Yeah, have fun. Have fun tonight at your gaming group. Oh, I definitely will. It's one of the highlights of my week, easily. Awesome. So, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was Chris Lehman. And I hope he showed you that you can still have fun while being sightless. This episode was hosted by Ertan Shashko and edited by Alpai Shashko. We'd also like to extend our special thanks to Fighting Windmills for allowing us to use their music in our podcast. You can find them at fightingwindmillsmk.bandcamp.com.